0: Our text for this morning is Matthew chapter 23, and it will be verses 1 through 12. This is God's word for us today. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear. And lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, again we just pause. And we take a moment now, Lord, we we yield to you. We yield to you in your word. And we ask you, God, by grace. We ask you, God, by your sovereign power. We ask you, God, for your holy name's sake, have mercy on us. And open our hearts to you. Open our hearts to your word and fill us with your spirit and change us and convict us and grow us and make us into the people of God you want us to be. Lord, there is much hypocrisy that we have to learn to repent of in a text like this. Make it happen for your glory. Change hearts, save souls, be glorified. We pray in Jesus' holy, holy name. Amen. You can be seated. It may be hard for you to imagine. But the greatest single feat in Christian music history came out about 23 years ago in 1995. And I am, of course, referencing the Jesus Freak album from DC Talk. Now, whether you love that album or you don't love music... uh, (laughs) Those are the only options I got, guys. I don't know what else to say. All right, I'm teasing you. You don't have to love it. Whether you, whether you know that or not, there's a spot in that album that actually did get a lot of people's attention. It actually is this little audio clip uh, put before the song, What If I Stumble? Um, it's a song about failing as a Christian, failing publicly as a believer. And they had a quote by Brennan Manning, and it really did grab everybody's attention i think when they first heard it he he said the greatest single cause of atheism today is christians who acknowledge jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable now to let you in on a secret i actually don't believe manning is correct The greatest cause of atheism is the rebellion in the fallen human heart. Mankind does not want to follow his creator, and so he comes up with reasons and excuses to rebel. But with that little caveat given, would you not agree that the sentiment that we do harm, that we do damage, that we are a bad witness when we fail to live out what we claim to believe, would you not agree that is an important truth to remember? That's pretty important, right? We bring dishonor on the name of our Lord when we don't practice what we preach. Now, real quick, how many of you are going, yeah, that's right? (laughs) How many of you are going, okay, yeah, that's right, but then you have to remember that you don't practice what you preach either. Let's let's get it right, guys. Let's get it right together. As we turn to Matthew chapter 23 today, we're going to see Jesus point out that the Pharisees, like in that Manning quote from D.C. Talk, from Jesus Freak, from the best album ever created by Christians, uh, that, okay, don't laugh at me, the Pharisees that Jesus was talking to were the kind of people that acknowledged the word of God with their lips, but they denied it by their practice in a thousand ways. What we're going to look at this morning is the final public discourse of the Lord Jesus in this gospel after this chapter in Matthew 23, everything Jesus says is either in private, maybe off to his disciples, maybe it's in response to a question he's asked by somebody else, but no major public, public teaching after what we're starting to see here. And while you and I may not present ourselves in the world as the religious know-it-all scholars of our day, there is a whole lot for you and me to learn from the words of Jesus that he gives to the religious elite. So we're going to... Prepare, if you're one of those people that writes things down, for five points that we'll find as we begin to look at Jesus' final public teaching before his death and resurrection. Five points. And we're going to call the message today, I don't know, something simple like, do not imitate the teachers. How about that? That way you know what you're not supposed to do. Do not imitate the teachers. Which is probably true. You probably shouldn't imitate me either, but that's a whole other topic. First point here this morning. You ready? Yep. Preach and practice righteousness. Preach and practice righteousness. Verses 1 through 3 read, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach But do not practice. Over the past couple chapters, there has been a pretty heated confrontation between the religious leadership of of Israel and the Lord Jesus. And primarily that conflict has been between the Pharisees and the Savior, though the Herodians and the Sadducees have also made appearances. But it's the Pharisees who were the ones who were known to be the religious legal experts. And the scribes, of course, are the most expert among the bunch. Well, Jesus has silenced his critics with a brilliant question at the end of chapter 22. Now it's time for Jesus to turn to the crowd around him. And he's going to challenge the crowd that's in front of him. Do not be like the men over here who were trying to trick me. So today's passage, verses 1 through 12, Jesus is going to talk to the crowds and he's going to show them how not to be like the hypocritical religious teachers. But then from verses 13 through 39, we'll study that over a pair of messages, Lord willing. Jesus pronounces woe on the scribes and Pharisees seven times. It's going to be blistering, folks. here we go. Jesus tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. That's kind of an odd turn of a phrase, even in the scripture. We don't see that used that way very often. But the seat of Moses is a figurative term for the chair that a teacher would sit in as he leads. Since Moses is the one through whom God gave the law to the nation of Israel, sitting in Moses' seat is like teaching with Moses' authority. Now, if it sounds weird to you, if it sounds strange to you to think of the teacher's role of leadership, his authority as his seat, remember that even today in the university system, you refer to the head of a department as the department chair very often, right? It's the same idea. And Jesus says, because these men are in Moses' seat, the people around him are to do what the teachers say, But Jesus is clear that the people are not to imitate the hearts and the actions of the the Pharisees. Do what they say, but not what they do appears to be the message. Now, the command Jesus gives does have a few ways you'll see people try to handle it. Because when he says, do what they say, but don't imitate them, it feels awkward And so some commentators will say, I think Jesus is being sarcastic here. There certainly are places where Jesus is sarcastic in his tone, that he mocks the foolishness of people around him who are teaching evil things. So so maybe Jesus is saying, oh yes, they're in Moses' seat, so you got to do what they say but don't do what they do. Maybe there is a a mocking of these men that he's doing. Maybe. Other people would say, well, if you notice the the language here, the word for the Pharisees sitting in Moses' seat could be translated differently based on the voice. If you are reading an ESV, how many of you are reading an ESV right now? I just love that you're smart enough not to raise your hands when I ask those questions anymore. Praise God for y'all. It took three years and how many months, but you guys have gotten there. It says they sit in Moses' seat. Anybody got a New American Standard Bible? Okay. It should say that they seated themselves, seated themselves in Moses' seat. Is that right, what that one says? Yes. Yeah. And that's giving you a little bit of uh, emphasis on the middle voice rendering there. And it could be that, they, that these men have taken upon themselves an authority they're not supposed to have, which would give a hint to the sarcasm. That's one legitimate way. I don't think that if someone goes down that road, I don't think they're, they're completely, I, I, I don't think that's illegitimate to think that way. But my guess is, My guess is that Jesus actually here is just telling his followers, in general, just like every other authoritative thing that we've dealt with in Scripture, in general, you follow the commands of these people who are wielding authority, so long as the commands that they give you do not violate the Word of God. Because, in truth... I realize that the Pharisees and Jesus are clashing all over the place in the New Testament. But still, the Pharisees were the group among the religious leaders who were most likely to teach biblical truth. And oftentimes, the scribes and the Pharisees are going to teach things that are accurate when they teach from the law of Moses. And I think Jesus is actually telling them, when you hear these men teaching the word of God rightly, do what they say. But Jesus is going to be really clear that these men lack so much in character. They are such messed up, hypocritical, selfish dudes. You do not want to be like them. Does that sound, does that sound weird to you, by the way? To have somebody say you can learn from them, but don't be like them? Well, let me ask you. Have you ever been taught something true by a smart person who lacked character? I won't ask you to name names. Because there may be times you'd have to say me. I ain't perfect. Maybe you had a pastor who knew his stuff, but was a man who should never have been in a pulpit. People have, been, have experienced that. In recent years, how many times have we seen men in public ministry who needed to be removed from their public ministries? Seven. Several times. Does that mean that we should throw out everything those men ever taught under any circumstance? I, I don't think so. While I might not put their books on a book table because I don't want you to be confused... It doesn't mean that we should not follow when people faithfully taught us the word of God. If someone was faithful with the word, we are to follow that teaching. But Jesus says, don't ever be like them. Don't ever be like these guys. Don't be like men who disqualify themselves from the ministry because they're nasty people, because they lack character, because they're they're just mean and brutal and nobody can follow them. Don't be like those guys. Jesus tells us, practice and observe biblical preaching. Even when the preachers don't practice what they preach, you practice what you preach. Now we can learn from this little section, right? We want to obey biblical truth even when biblical truth comes to you from a flawed source. If you need a perfect source to give you biblical truth, you cannot listen to me preach. Can't do it. But, I think there is something here that we want to get that's a character issue in view for you and me besides saying learn the truth when the truth is given. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. We want to be, we want to be a people who yes, preach righteousness no doubt about that but we want to be a people who live the righteousness we preach. So Christian, stop and talk to God for a second. Ask the Lord God, do I live what I preach? You know, I don't think for a moment God wants you to stop telling the truth. But I do think that God wants you to be the kind of person who is humble and gracious as you repent. God wants you to live to God's glory. God wants you to live out a life of obedience. God wants you also to be humble enough to admit that no matter how hard you strive to be righteous, you never have made it there yet. God wants you to treat other people with the kind of gracious gentleness you want other people to show you. So ask the Lord. God, where do I not practice what I preach? God, how do I need to repent? God, where do I need to be more gracious with others? God, where do I need to stop being a hypocrite? God, where do I need to be more gracious with those who are hypocrites? Remember, if you're a Christian, what are you? A condemned sinner destined for hell but saved by grace. What good thing did you bring to the table to make God want to save you? Nothing. You did nothing to bring about your own salvation. Any good that is in you is a gift given to you by God. So preach truth, strive to obey, and live graciously in the process as you preach and practice righteousness. Now, let's find a couple more points. They're going to be a little quicker. And we're going to see areas where the teachers didn't practice righteousness. They didn't practice what they preach. So that's going to come in point number two. Point two, support others in the church. Support others in the church. That's going to be what we're going to learn. Support others in the church. Verse four, they, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So Jesus' first example of these men not practicing righteousness comes in how harshly they treat other people. The Pharisees teach in such a way as to load people down with burdens and requirements. And sadly, the same Pharisees will not do one single thing, not even lift a finger to help those people live under that heavy load. And this, friends, is not godly. Think about how Jesus called people to himself and to his ministry. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will make it worse. Did I misread that? Oh, that was the message. I'm sorry. Uh, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is that not good news? Jesus called people to himself. But look at the words, think about the words Jesus used to describe what it's like to follow him. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden, the burden I will put on your shoulders, is light. Jesus is a gentle master. Jesus is a gentle savior. Now you think about Christianity, and when you think about Christianity, do you think about following Jesus as getting under a gentle yoke? Do you find do you find Jesus when you think about the savior the savior who loves you the savior who died for you do you think about the savior as a kindly lord and gentle master over you yeah. Ask further when you tell other people about following the savior do you present that same savior Do you present them with somebody who's bearing the burden? Do you present them with somebody whose burden is light? You know, funny thing about the commands of God is that you and I, we will go to one or two very negative extremes and their opposites. On the one hand, like the Pharisees, you and I get tempted to present following Jesus as a heavy burden. Be honest, have you ever, when you're trying to witness to somebody, you can hear yourself just loading them up with burden? Sometimes you will put on somebody an impossible weight of commands and requirements and restrictions. It is so easy for us to become moralistic brutes. It is so easy for us to tell everybody, hey, this and this and this and this and this and this is what you are not living up to and you've got to start living up to. It is easy to weigh people down and sometimes you even weigh them down with your own made-up version of morality and judge people harshly when they don't measure up to your own made-up version of morality. You ever seen anybody do that? (laughs) You know what the funny thing is? Some of y'all are really good at doing that to yourself. You create a morality that's not the morality of the Word of God, and then you beat yourself to death for not meeting it. The other error, and I don't want to leave this out in case I've made just some of you nervous with all that grace stuff. Some people go to an extreme of what they think is grace, but is really... Lawlessness. Y'all, God has given us commands. God has shown us what He expects of His followers. If you wanted to know what God wants you to act like and be like, where do you look? The Word of God. God has made it clear that to disobey Him is a big deal. It is harmful, it is dangerous, it is soul crushing. And genuine believers in the Lord do not want to go against the word of God. So what you and I want to grasp here is that we want to avoid the error of the Pharisees. We don't want to teach harshly and offer no support. What we want to be is people who absolutely unapologetically hold to the word of God, but who also help other people to follow that word. So here's that spot again. Stop and think about yourself. Think about the things you expect other people to do. What do you expect, Christians, of single people in the faith? We expect single people to live a pure life, right? We, we expect single people to avoid sexual immorality. Do we not? Mm-hmm. Okay, at least three of you do it. I'm glad about that. <laughs> do you who expect the single in the body of Christ to live pure lives, do you let single people know that they are welcome with you in your family so they don't have to be alone? How much difference would that make? You tell the person who struggles with fear, hey, You've got to trust in the Lord. Great. Do you lend a hand to that person to help them not fall into despair? You tell a person, you need to make make healthier choices for your body. Good. Do you offer to teach them how to cook a healthy meal? Because if not, all you've done is made them feel bad and offered them nothing. Does that make sense? Christian, think about this. When in your life has somebody both called you to righteousness and then walked with you to help you get there? Have you ever had that happen? No? Yes. Yes. A couple of you have. (laughs) But you know what's what's sad? I know that that answer is not as strong as it should be. I know there's a whole lot of us who have had a lot of people tell us what not to do or what to do, what not to be, and what to be uh, that haven't had somebody say, I'm with you. I'll try to encourage you. I'll try to lighten the load. But guys, when somebody tells you what to be and then comes alongside you and helps you lighten the load and helps you walk that direction, y'all, Those are the friends you want. And those are the kinds of friends you want to be. Jesus does not appreciate you laying a bunch of weight on somebody's shoulders that you will not also help them lift. So, as we see the failing of the Pharisees here, we see a call that you and I need to be a church, and we need to be a church family. Yes, I want you, church, to call each other to righteousness, But be sure as you do that you get right in there with them and help them carry the load. And if you're someone here who's feeling burdened, let me ask, how many of you would say in my life, I I feel a little weight of burden. I feel like life might be hard from time to time. Don't be so foolish and so proud as to think you can make it on your own. Sometimes, someone like me or someone like Jason or someone like Harold or somebody else in the body will say to someone, I want to help. And somebody will say, oh, no, I'm fine. First of all, you're not a good enough liar for us to believe you. (laughs) But friends, you got to be open to each other. You've got to let other people into your life. You've got to let people take, you've got to take people up on the offer to help. When someone says, hey, you can come hang out with us so you've got someone to be with so you're not all by yourself and alone or scared or whatever, you've got to say, yeah, I will do that. You need to let other people support you and you need to support other people in the church. Third point. We doing okay so far? Okay. Okay. Third point, seek God's pleasure, not man's praise. Seek God's pleasure, not man's praise. Verses five through seven. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So here Jesus continues to talk about the disappointing religion of the Pharisees. And he adds in there another another truth for us. Not only do these men not practice what they preach. Not only do they load people up with burdens and not help. The Pharisees love to practice their religion for the sake of being praised by men. And Jesus says clearly here, the Pharisees do what they do for the attention of others. And he points to the fact that these men dress in religious garb so as to, to get attention from others. And he talks about their phylacteries and their fringes. How many of you are wearing too large a phylactery today? No, thank you. Just right size, right? Uh, what is a phylactery? You ask. It's a it's a little leather pouch, little little box. Uh, some some Jewish men would wear it. Um, not all of them would, and they would do it. Some people on just special religious holidays. Some people did it all the time. This really came into practice late, sort of really in the centuries just before Christ is when it became popular from what we can tell. But these little boxes, these little, these little uh, pouches or boxes, they had little bitty rolls of parchment in them that had verses of scripture from the Torah on them. And what you would do is you would tie your pouch on, on your left wrist, kind of like a Fitbit, or you, you would tie it with like a leather thong to your forehead. And, and that way you were wearing the word of God. Why would they do that, you ask? Well, Exodus thirteen nine does say, It shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Or... Y'all remember the Shema? We talked about it last week. Hear, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Remember what it said after that, though? These words? bind them on your hand. Write them on the doorframe of your house. Right? Verses like that, having God's word as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that convinced some religious people of Jesus' day, oh, I should literally do this. My guess is these verses are a little bit more about calling men of God to have the word of God rule over your hand, what you do, your head, what you think. But, but these men got to a place, especially by the first century, that they were using scripture in their little boxes as if it was a, a charm. Bad things won't happen to me. I got my word of God on. And they used they used the way that they dressed, especially the Pharisees. They would, they, would, they would use thicker straps or bigger pouches so they could show off that I am more Scripture committed to you because I've got a bigger pouch on my hand or forehead. Now, before we laugh too much at these guys, first of all, I will remind any of you who wore Christian T-shirts in the 90s that you've got nothing to laugh at anybody else about. Because, <laughs> man, there were some horrible shirts that we used to wear. But God did make commands that Jewish folks wear tassels and fringes on their garments as part of their commitment to him. Numbers 15, 38-40 reads this way. Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel at each corner and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and to remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes which you're inclined to whore after so that you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. So the point of the tassel was a little string on your garment to help you remember the commands of God. Can you think of anybody in the Bible you know that wore a garment with a fringe like that? Jesus. Jesus did. Remember the woman with the issue of blood came up to Jesus? What did she touch and was healed? The fringe of his garment. It was those. She grabbed the tassels. Now the thing about the problem here is the Pharisees... It wasn't that they wore their tassels, but they thought they would look extra religious if they had bigger tassels on their garments. They would show off their religious goodness in their clothing. They would be sure if you saw them on the street, you knew these were important religious figures. They wanted you to come up to them in the market and say, oh, good morning, Rabbi. They wanted to be recognized by the clothes. And the lesson to learn here, folks, is pretty simple. Don't do your acts of religion for the praise of men. Instead, serve the Lord for God's own glory. In Matthew 6.1, Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. We want to glorify God. Be honest, do you not want reward from God? If you say you don't want reward from God, you're not reading your Bible right. This is God says, this should motivate you. And the only way you're going to have reward from God is when you seek God's pleasure, not to be praised by other people. So again, the examination point, right? When you serve God, do you do it for the for the Lord Or when you do religious things, are you the kind of person that is careful to be sure that other people notice what you're doing? If you catch yourself demanding, oh, if they don't notice me, my work's not worth it. Oh, if they don't notice me, I might as well not do it. If that's where you are, you've got a problem with your heart. Let's go on. Point number four, because it's very similar. Seek God's glory, not positions of power. Seek God's glory... Not positions of power. Verses 8 through 10. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. So here, little threefold statement, Jesus tells his hearers what you and I have been seeing all along. Don't imitate the teachers. They love praise. They love titles. They love recognition and all the rest. But true followers of God do not go after those things. Now this section is pretty simple, but there is one complication I think we should try to get around here. Is Jesus here forbidding in a universal sense The use of the words, rabbi, father, and instructor. What do you think? I want to say no. Probably not. I think this is more like the call that Jesus gives us in Matthew 5 to cut off your hand rather than sin with it. Jesus is making a very clear statement, a very sweeping statement. He's making a point, no doubt. But later in the New Testament, we're going to see the word teacher used for people in the church. Uh, Apostle becomes a title of importance. It'd be funny that you would let somebody have any type of title if, if you're not supposed to have any titles. Paul talks about Timothy and says, you know, Timothy became my, my son, my child in the faith, which would indicate Paul plays a fatherly role, a fatherly concept there. But what I think Jesus wants us to avoid is using words like rabbi, or father, or instructor, or the very right reverend, like we call Jason. Uh, He wants us not... Did I miss that? He wants us not to use it the way the Jews use those words, because when they used those words, they were indicating a type of hierarchy inside the family of God. They were looking at men not only as having a position of authority. It wasn't about authority. But they were looking at at men as being somehow intrinsically greater than, better than others. I don't think Jesus is opposed to any child that called their dad father. But I do think Jesus would be opposed to you calling me father father. If by doing so you thought that I was greater than you in my personhood, if you thought I was of higher value than you and you put a title on me, you are wrong. You can call me pastor if you want, that's fine. But don't think that pastor means I'm special. I am one of you, one of the family of God, who's been given a stewardship by God. I've been given a job to do and a role to play, yes, and it's a great role and it's a challenging role, but, but it does not make me greater than you. I, I would suggest to you, by the way, that, I, that it is dangerous that the Roman Catholics have chosen to specifically ignore these words of Jesus for the men who serve in their community. I fear that when they call their ministers priests, when they refer to those men as father, I mean, even the word pope is the word for father, Catholics in that that way are building up titles and separation of levels of humanity that is exactly what Jesus is forbidding here, I think. Now, similarly, though, because we're not apt to slap titles around like that and call anybody father, but you know what? Sometimes we do it with education. The word teacher, maybe the word doctor. Oh, you better call me doctor. I've got my doctorate. Call me doctor. That can be dangerous. Now, again, if somebody does the work to earn a Ph.D., praise God, and they deserve some respect, but don't you dare think that somebody with a Ph.D. is a better human being than you. And, and, and don't think that, that like an author who writes a book that doesn't have doctor in his name is not worth your time. Don't be impressed by a title and never use a title to try to force somebody to bow down to you. So what are the alternatives Jesus gives us? The only one who deserves to be thought of as actually higher than us, greater than us, is who? Our God! Right? He is, Jesus is God, Jesus is holy, Jesus is creator, he's all the rest. And, and, and Jesus says, don't, don't give any other human being exaltation on that level. There's only one human that gets to really have a title like rabbi, like father, like teacher, in the sense of being better than us, more worthy than us in every way, is the Lord Jesus, because he's the God-man. For the rest of us, for you and me, you know what we are? We are brothers and and sisters in Christ. We are fellow creatures who seek to honor our Lord. Don't let people bring divisions into the body by saying this person is greater than you. By the way, don't let people bring divisions into the body by saying, oh, this person is is from a put upon people group, so now you have to bow to them. We are all one family in Christ. And Jesus is playing here, my followers, Jesus' followers, we, we, we don't chase after titles. We don't chase after the praise of men. We don't chase after outranking each other. We seek the glory of God, not positions of power. All right, one last one. Point number five. You're still with me, even though some of you are freezing, right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Treasure humility. Point number five treasure humility. 11 and 12, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus wraps up. This is the counselor, the counsel to the listeners before he starts pronouncing woes. And these are words that if you've been reading the Bible, do those sound strange in any way? Not really, right? Jesus calls his followers seek humility instead of personal exaltation. And this fits scripture just perfectly, even if it's exactly the opposite of what the world around us does. Psalm 18, 27 reads, For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Psalm 147, 6 says, The Lord lifts up the humble, He cast the wicked to the ground. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter is a book we should study sometime. Uh, Verses 5 and 6 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. God's word has always called on God's people to be a humble people. God has shown us that if you and I will choose to be personally humble, God will lift us up by his own grace. You and I don't have to fight for our own honor. God shows us when all is said and done, he's going to take care of us. The religious leaders around Jesus, they battled for their own honor. They battled for their own positions. Jesus says to Christians, don't you dare be like that. We don't seek fame, we don't seek recognition, we don't demand the highest titles, we don't seek the honors that others give. You know what we seek to do? We seek deep down to please the Lord. We seek to preach and practice righteousness. We seek to love others and help others as we call them to faithfulness, and that will lead us to treasure humility, because humbling yourself before the Lord, that brings God great honor. Now, let me say one last thing to us about what we've seen. We can just talk for a minute, right? I mean, there's no sound system, so it's kind of free. Am I correct in thinking that there might be some conviction for us in this message? I hope so. This message could weigh heavily on your soul. If you don't feel like you are someone who practices what they preach, if you don't help others the way you really should in the body, if you struggle with humility, this stuff's heavy. I don't want to take the sting of conviction away at any point here. But, friends, when we feel the sting of conviction on our lives, that is the sweet, perfect call of God for you and me to come to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing. This text shows us place after place after place after place where we failed before the Lord, and every every single one of us in this room will fail in one of the things we talked about today. I guarantee it, because we are sinners. We are just a room full of sinners. We deserve judgment for our failings. Ask me how I'm doing someday and it's very likely for me to tell you I deserve hell, so I'm doing better than I deserve. But God, God has taken action. God sent His Son to live that perfection that you and I have never lived. God sent His Son to die to pay for the sins we have committed. God raised His Son from the grave to show us that there is hope for sinners just like us. So we run to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you need to run to Jesus for salvation. Pray that God change your heart, wake you up, make you alive, and that you would be able to bow to Jesus, yield your life to Jesus, believe in Jesus, turn to Jesus and be saved. And if you do know Jesus, run to Jesus for mercy. Run to Jesus for strength as He has To live as he's called you to live. Yes, he calls us, take up your cross and follow me. That's true. And man, does it hurt. But you know what else he said? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. May we run to our gentle Savior, repent of sin, and find rest and healing. As we humble ourselves before the Lord, would you bow with me in prayer? God, your word is rich. Your word is good. And God, I'll be honest, this hurts a little bit. We are sinners. And we cry out to Jesus for mercy. Lord, you have said to us, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need forgiveness and purifying today. God, you've said to us, not to live for our own glory. So we plead with you to help us live for yours. I pray for everybody in here, God, that you will take those points of conviction and drill them home for life change. But I pray, God, you will not take those points of conviction and break us to the point that you don't mend us. And I thank you that you do mend us. Let us not burden one another, but let us join one another in the task. And Father, I would ask you, please, um, just help us be a family that walks together. Helping each other, being helped by each other. Not burdening, but lifting the load. Let us be faithful to your word, even as we lock arms to walk this life together. Let us find our worth not in the things we do, but in the grace you've given. Oh God, be glorified. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen.